All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 217. I am your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. Hey, there's Phil. Uh, in this episode, we are doing another one of our deep dives into a couple of Star Trek Voyager episodes. Before we get into all that, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and do try to leave a rating or even a review. It helps us a great deal. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Three Drinks in Pod. You can like us on Facebook and comments, compliments, and sponsor offers can be sent to Three Drinks in Podcast at d- gmail.com. And don't forget to head to, 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 to the website and check out our merch store over there at TeePublic. All right. So, have you watched the Olympics much? Yeah, I really have. Yeah, I haven't this year either. It's been it's been kind of a bummer, <laughs> which is disappointing because I do tend to look forward to it. And then, you know, and now gymnastics is a whole thing, and uh, I don't recognize any of the swimmers who are Americans except for Katie Ledecky and there's a couple other Flickinger I remember from before. Um, but yeah, you know what it is? It's, there's no, there's no like big name for anything. Yeah, I mean Simone Biles is probably the biggest one, and I'm a little tired of hearing about her. But um, <laughs> I was sorry like, before the whole thing happened. She was the greatest of all time. That's gotta get to you. I'm not surprised that this happened. They literally had her in in, in, in a photo shoot with an actual goat. <sighs> Goats, they they smell. They really <laughs> do. What a waste. <laughs> but um, there's no like narratives that they have this year, so there's nothing on TV at any specific time that I can like know I can tune in and watch. Like when they, uh, Michael Phelps was going for all those golds in Beijing, uh, 2008. Like swimming was on at eight o'clock every night. I mean, obviously it wasn't live or whatever, but like they always said, like, hey, this is the time we're going to be showing these. So you could tune in and watch. Whereas like when I turn it on now, it's like, okay, here's the programming for the next seven hours, but it's going to be completely random as to what you're going to see. So I was watching three by three basketball. Then I was watching rowing. Then it was beach volleyball. And then it was like, okay, like fine. But I, I can't get invested in all of those things when it just seems to be like whatever happens to be on, that's what I'm going to watch. Yeah, it's a little bit more. I mean, his year was pretty extraordinary. You had someone doing that, and like they were basically designing the entire Olympic Games around this one guy and this thing yeah, he had to do. It was great. And yeah, it was. And everybody wanted to be people who didn't give a fig about swimming were like, I remember like being in like the bowling alley bar one night. We were. We went out bowling with people, and we all like stopped bowling and went into the bar to watch this, like whatever event he was doing that night. Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, I remember that because I was there too. Everybody stopped bowling. Like, hey, he's about to win another gold in the four by one hundred relay. Everyone's like, I don't even know what that is, but okay, (laughs) sure. I mean, the thing I do think is nice just about the time difference in Japan is that you do watch swimming live, like the finals events are live. So, cause, which they do in the morning. They're doing that deliberately. They're having them swim, swim, swim their finals in the morning, and they do all the prelim stuff in the evening. So they'll show you that later on because it's not as important. But um, 
so, so schedule wise, that's kind of nice. But then again, like, I don't know. I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I'm trying to make the most of my summer by like, I got a lot of free time this summer. So I'm cleaning up my house and working out a ton. And then, you know, we have the couple of kids. So like, I'm bushed by 930. <laughs> when they say, okay, here comes Katie Ledecky doing the 1500. I'm like, son of a bitch. That's a long race. And I'm, yeah, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stay up past ten. You know, so. and I'm consistently amazed that they built this giant natatorium. Yes, that, that's what it's called, by the way. It's a natatorium, and they they've never put counters in the pool. Is that odd? Like they still have like to count off for the fifteen hundred. It's still a guy holding a placard, like a flip placard that we used to oh. use in high school, <laughs> holding yeah, that in they, the water. They've always done that. I don't I'm know like, why. Yeah, you, know, you have cameras at the bottom of the pool. You have all kinds of crap down there. Put in a little LED thing and just says you are on lap two <laughs> of forty eight yeah. or whatever the hell a fifteen hundred is. I, I I get sick thinking about swimming fifteen hundred. Well, they've never had those. No. So. And where did three on three basketball come from? Is that a new uh, thing? Am I not paying attention? I'm probably not paying attention. It is, but because my wife looked this up, it's not three on three, although it is. <laughs> because the the rules are different. Somebody, someone's trademarked three on three. It, it's like its own thing. So this is three by three. And and you listen <laughs> to the you listen to the announcers, and they call it that. They call it three by three basketball because the rules are different. Uh, in what way are they different? Do you know? I haven't really well, watched like, it. So like in the Olympics, they only play to twenty one, or until time runs out. And you get like a 12 second shot clock. And I think there's a few other things, like the fouls are different. It's it was actually interesting to watch because it's so fast. I was gonna say that yeah, that would make it go by real quick. Yeah. And that that was interesting. But um I've never seen it before. <laughs> like I just turned it on. I was like, oh hey, basketball. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but faster. And like they only <laughs> play on half a court. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, know? oh my god, there's like half of a court there. Uh, and I was thinking, like, oh, they only play on that that side. I'm like, no, there is no other side. There's just half of a court. <laughs> and the, so. the the water polo is always impressive too. I don't oh. know anything about the players or the teams, but just watching them do that is oh. really, really impressive. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. Like you, when you watch someone diving, you you have a sense, a, a small sense as to how hard that is. Um. Because you see the entire, the entirety of their body, you know, from the, you know, then how freakishly high that that platform is. Um, but with with water polo, you don't see about forty percent of their torso or more because it's under the water and then they're splashing around all the time. But they're basically standing on the water. They can kick their legs so vigorously for so long that they're basically like hovering knee-deep in in the water and walking. Uh, yeah. It's the most I bizarre always, thing. I always tell people, imagine dodging a shark in the ocean for an hour. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to stay above the water. You're kicking like a crazy person. Sometimes you leap up out of the water. Like, <laughs> flailing your arms. Flailing your arms. And then sometimes you have to swim. <laughs> so, like It's really tough. <laughs> yeah. Very difficult. I mean, it's we used to play at a you know, at the end of practice on some days and like we all thought we were good and we are not good at all. It's like yeah. I think I played in college once when they like played 
in the deep end of a you know of a 50 meter pool and they were like there's no fucking wall here you can't go on the wall what are you doing yeah i was like oh we're, n- we're not gonna play where you can stand they're like looking at you like what <laughs> oh honey oh, oh sweetie no yeah and you're still like oh yeah i totally meant to just do that <laughs> anyway anyway nice so star trek digression star trek which features no water polo at all <laughs> enterprise but. did enterprise did that was that was <laughs> jonathan <laughs> archer's like he sporting was a obsession. Polo player i don't I, know why they thought that was a good idea well <laughs> i don't know either. they i guess they figured that everybody had a thing like picard's thing was it wasn't it was fencing right that was like his yeah he could it, fence he had fencing and Cisco, of course, had baseball, which was only really great because, well, two reasons. One, it was baseball, and everyone knows that. <laughs> no one knows fencing, for God's sakes. I know. And uh, by the way, the reason they did that, I'm pretty sure, for Picard, was that, that, was, that that's a thing you get trained in as a British actor. Uh-huh. That's part of your, like, when you go to school for theater, they teach you how to fence. Because swordplay and this kind of thing, it's just part. Of, I think it's just part. Of, I, mean, I don't know how much that's true now, but I'm pretty sure that's what that was. Um, so yeah, so Cisco had baseball, and Janeway didn't have a she, thing. She had um, every so often she'd play a game with seven of nine in the holodeck. Oh yeah, made up bullshit like a hoverball yeah. or something like. Right, but that was really only like we need to put them in an adversarial situation that's friendly to you know hoping to pull that a little bit yeah she didn't she didn't have much i think the one on that show was um tom paris had his obsession with like the 20th century earth stuff yeah and they do that so you can show these things on the show like i can show cisco holding a baseball and playing catch and stuff like that and fencing but i can't show anybody playing water polo yeah. <laughs> it's too expensive like what were they thinking there it was really of all the things to be interested in like I mean, I, I like water polo. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally out of the box. So, you know, would not have thought. I also don't know where that, like, would have fit in. Like, because you get interesting backstories. Like, one of, one of my favorite uh, episodes of that show was, um, like, the flashback one when you learn about when they broke the Mach 3 barrier. And, you know, you see him a few years earlier in a different rank, and he's, like, subordinate to people. And it was fun, but like, when do you find time to play water polo and all that? Like, these people are so driven and so, so accomplished. You know, water yeah. polo takes up a lot of time. <laughs> so I don't know. It just, it was a very. I'm trying to think of what would what what what, what would have been better. And I'm thinking that literally anything else would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> well, darts was like you know they basketball for god's sakes you could play basketball like think of regular they games them playing basketball i was gonna say didn't they have a whole thing <laughs> where like flocks could throw it in from wherever it didn't matter he just kind of went whoop and then it went in because he's an alien and for some reason he can do that i don't know i don't know but they probably just had a water polo ball on set and they were like let's just throw this in there <laughs> i should look that up it's so stupid but anyway um so we we one. did it. We did an episode a few uh, weeks ago, months ago now, uh, about Tuvix. You would wanted to, you know, we're trying to find episodes to do just because like there's been lulls and movies that are coming. Although though now they're coming out more frequently, we just, we just have to like rearrange our schedules to go to the movies now. Yeah, well, you said too, like you know, finding them in the theaters that'll show them is also still tricky. 
Yeah, my my local theater does matinees, but most of the other theaters are not yet. And that's kind of when I'm available now is in the middle of the day. And I can go at night, but it's requiring more of my schedule to do that. But so we did Tuvix the last time around and fairly significantly shat all over it. At least I did because it was sort of exemplified everything that was terrible about Voyager, like all the missed opportunities and all the kind of thin, hollow, you know, bottle show type decisions that got made and nothing ever seemed to matter or carry over. And that would be an odd choice for a show whose central premise carries over from one from one episode to the next. And, you know, the, 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 the original series and Next Generation could do episodic because there wasn't a standing thing that we're doing. It's just like, we're exploring. That could mean literally anything. And so they ran with that, and it was fine. But Voyager's whole thing was like, we have an ongoing project, and we're going to pretend it's important when we need it to be, and otherwise we're not. But I was like, you know, are there good episodes of Voyager that, like, you know, and I think there are. I think there, there's, like, you know, I was talking to my father-in-law a little while ago because he's starting to... He's like, I think he's in the, in the middle of like the fourth season right now. He's kind of going back and watching all these. Cause he didn't really watch DS9 or Voyager, and he's watching them now. And I was saying, it gets really good when, once you get to the Equinox. And that's, uh, that's probably, you know, one of my favorite episodes because it, it does all the things you always wanted this show to do in an intense kind of way and but at, at, it still it still falls fall short at times but there's just it's a big two-parter it's it's fun it's exciting like i just try, I, try, I turned it on for two seconds and like the opening sequence is phenomenal like they're on this ship you don't know who these guys are they're on fire you know their bridge is on fire and they're getting ready they drop their shields oh my god here they come it's very exciting um but like I was trying to think, are there episodes of Voyager where it's not one of those big two-parters? It's just a really solid episode utilizing the situation that they're in and not pulling a tuvix, which I think we could now use as a um a verb. Pulling a tuvix. I like that. Where you, you know, you have a big emotional decision by your main character that basically vanishes the next day. And apparently there was a whole bunch of memes about this that I didn't know about. And there was one I saw where it was it was the picture of Janeway's face and she says if I had, you know, a gun, two bullets and I and I saw Gul Dukat, some other bad guy and Tuvix, I'd shoot Tuvix twice. Like it was it became like a thing. And apparently uh Alexandra Ocasio or uh, Cortez, congresswoman from New York, somehow got asked about this and in her very authoritative way weighed in on, you know, on how interesting it is aspects about the you know, the Tuvix dilemma. And uh so it's a fairly popular episode even though I think it's a bag of dog shit which really gets dropped on on your shoe in the last four seconds of the of the episode before it cuts to black, but yeah. so I I dug around and I found distant origin, yeah, distant origin, mm-hmm. and um, uh, 
living, living witness. witness, which you pointed out features the same <laughs> guest actor. It's the same guy as the is the main guest actor. I was like, and is that why you picked this? And you're like, oh, I had no <laughs> no freaking idea. So I'm oh, yeah, I'm the lo- same guy. I'm looking at uh, you know so Henry. Warnitz, Warnitz, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's plays a guy in both, which is sort of hilarious. I mean, in the one case, he's covered from head to toe in heavy prosthetic makeup. I mean, yeah, really heavy. The, the dinosaur people have a lot of makeup on, <laughs> and they're wearing Inci- like the gloves with the three fingers, like they're Gorns or something. You know? Yeah. The Incidentally, he, he also plays the um, the the Klingon in the episode of TNG, the drumhead, which is one of the best yes. episodes of that show. That's a, that's a great episode. That is a good um, episode. So he basically, you know, I guess I asked that, like they asked him, do you want to do this one? He goes, do I have to wear all that crap on my face again? <laughs> Cause I really don't. And they gave him, it's like, you know, you know, forehead nostrils or whatever the hell they had. Yeah. They had stupid bumps or whatever. Yeah, whenever they got to, you know, tone it down. It's always the forehead. It's never like the, like the chin. <laughs> But um, yeah. <laughs> so so I picked these two for a couple of reasons. I think because I mean they're both written by Brandon Braga, and the thing that Voyager did well when it did this was sort of like pure science fiction stuff, like like episodes like thinking of like thinking of like a I can't think of exactly a pure science fiction episode of of Voyager top of my head, but I always think about Timescape in TNG. It's like the seventh season where Picard and Troy and Data and Geordi are coming back from a conference and they finally, the Enterprise is frozen in time. And the whole episode has nothing to do with anybody. It could literally be any characters who are the four that are off the ship when the disaster happens and come back to find them. It didn't really matter. It just matters, like, you know, it's a plot-driven thing. It's, who cares? Um, but it's like a pure science fiction show because there's no character thing there. There's no, there's a little bit of stuff. He was big on that. He was not big on, um, and he said in interviews, I like doing weird sci-fi concepts. I didn't like doing the political intrigue. Like, all the Klingon episodes he wasn't a big fan of in terms of, like, that just isn't what I like to write about, which is yeah. fine. Because like, so he was, when he was doing Voyager, he was very much like, it should be this because they're in a very odd part of space where we don't know anything and no nobody, you know, the Borg live there. It should be weird and wacky all the time. And some of them really work well. And some of them are like, nah, eh, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. And I, I actually know, think, I mean, good. Yeah. I, I, I think these ones work better. Um, I think Living Witness is probably the better of the two. And they're, you know, these concepts are really hard to pull off. They've done so many of them. I think this is basically why they don't do them anymore. Like all the new Star Trek stuff doesn't even come close to doing sci-fi concept stuff. It's just people in space, you know? So like if we're going to show like weirdo anomalies and giant space monsters that eat starships and stuff like they don't do that anymore. So you have to kind of look back at these ones and be like, you know, this is not as bad as I remember it being. Yeah. What would happen if two people got fused together? You know? Yeah. This transporter, save us, save us way to travel or, you know, stuff of nightmares. It's, uh, yeah, it's really 
Both. <laughs> yeah. Both. Both. And like, I think, I mean, you're right. Like, it's that they don't do this kind of high, you know, they, but here's the thing about this, about that, that, that statement. When they do do it, the only episode of the new Star Trek shows, it sounds stupid to call them that because they're not. Makes me want to cringe. The only one that I liked and like might consider watching a second time. It's not the one where they keep going back in time. The Harry Mudd one when they keep going back (laughs) in time. that's That's a great episode because it's a Star Trek episode. And I should look up at some point who the hell wrote that and see if I recognize the name because that's sort of, you know, it's a bottle show. It was, I'm sure, done to save money on, on, although I don't know what they're saving money on. These shows are so stupidly expensive to produce that they can only make a handful of them. Um, you figure they make them better, but they don't. But, you know, it was a bottle show. It took place on on the ship and then just run around and do this time loop thing. And then there's Rain Wilson being Rain Wilson, who's fantastic. And um, I even thought that um, the actress who plays Michael was really good in that. Like, she actually had things to do and she seemed vulnerable and human and not, like, super forced in that way. It was It was a good episode. And it was, you know, it, you're right. It's hard to write these kind of shows. But if you can do it right they can be really good um and i wonder like you know if 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 we're gonna get any more is like is that the reason they're basically giving up on it is to say like we we'd like to write things that are edgy and hip and cool because that's what you fellow kids want so we'll do that but maybe it is just too difficult to come up with new concepts for these things that haven't been done before because i mean the first one here distant origins it's a bit of a stretch. You know, basically, for those of you who don't recall, it's dinosaurs in space is another way to describe it. They they come across, you know, they don't really come across anybody, but the, the whole show starts with these two alien-looking people finding an old Starfleet uniform and, you know, confirming some mysterious distant origin theory. It turns out they're dinosaurs, and, they're, and the dinosaurs, one of the species of of dinosaurs actually evolved into a sentient bipedal species and capable of space travel. capable of space travel <laughs> and not only space travel planet. but space travel to the point where they could leave the solar system which i've been watching a lot of a youtube channel called answers with joe which i highly recommend it's mostly science based but also kind of history and he talks about the unbelievable difficulty that we have doing pretty much anything in space, not to mention the unbelievable vast distances of that. But an entire, an entire civilization picks up and leaves and flies, you know, 65,000 light years to the other side of the galaxy. And you're not even sure, quite sure what they're doing there. If they have planets, they're on a ship the whole time. It's a little bit vague, but anyway. Um, but it's basically a Galileo allegory. And they have a guy who says that we really come from this planet the same as these species. This, you know, this m- m- mammalian species called humans. And, you know, believe it or not, that, that's where we came from. And apparently this is heresy. And he gets in, in trouble for it and it's... 
Um, yeah. It, it becomes a trial at the end just to kind of, you know, defend his theories versus, you know, going against the, uh, the orthodoxy. And it, it does a, a lot of stuff in this episode. And my, my biggest complaints about it, beyond, besides like the whole like, well, did you really think out how that would happen? Yes, it was 65 million years ago. That's a long time to be a species and still be around in roughly the same position you were in when you left the planet. But um, it seems a little bit undercooked in general. Like, this could have been a two-parter, and it wasn't. Like, I, I think about that episode of The Dragon's Teeth, where they, like, they, they meet the, like, the, 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 basically a race of assholes who they think were, like, they, they find some guys who were who, who've been in, in, like, cryostasis for a thousand years. Turns out they were the aggressors in an ancient war that they lost, and... Jamie ends up trying to help them, not knowing what's going on. Turns out that they're all really mean, and that yeah, one that they was going to be a two-parter, right? I remember reading that because like there was so much going on, they didn't have time to develop a lot of it. And I feel that the the same is sort of true here, that you could have you could have done more with the backstory, you could have done more with like what their current situation is. Like you only see. Five people of the of the Voth alien race, the 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 the, um, the dinosaur race, and you get the sense that they're very powerful. Like that's the only clue you have as to their age as a species. Is they're so te- technologically advanced they could beam Voyager in mass into their ship. Like that's impressive. So their size, but you never really get a sense of exactly how advanced they are besides a few hints this and that and they they spend more time on the trial business of it which is still good but i i always kind of felt that they could have done more with setting up where they are and like do they have a a home planet here do they live in space perpetually is that like their thing which is kind of like it reminds me a bit of that movie wally that pixar did years years ago where like the spaceship wants them to be in space forever and they find out that they have you know, that there's life back on Earth and the ship doesn't want to go back to Earth because it wants to be perpetually floating around and, you know, doing its thing. You know, is that how they live? Like, so there's, like, there was, I thought that there was more they could have done if they had more time, but they had, they crammed in a lot of stuff in 45 minutes. I thought they, I don't, I don't think they had enough. And I think because the problem is that First of all, it's one of those few episodes where it's from the point of view of the aliens. Yeah, I love those episodes. Those, are, yeah, I think that's what helps this in general being a better episode of Voyager is because you don't have to deal with the really shitty characters on the ship. You can deal with people who actually have to go through some stuff. Yeah, there, there's a really good episode of The Next Generation where you see it from the, the aliens' point of view. I think it's called First Contact, where they first yeah. meet Picard and all the other people, and they're like, "Oh my God, you know, we we thought we were the only ones on in space, and and now we find out we're not." Like it would be an analogy as to like if aliens showed up one day right now, what would we say, you know? And that worked because. I mean, By the way, Roddenberry hated it. 
Yeah, he's a moron. And he told them, you can do it. It was, it, was, it was either Roddenberry or it was the other guy. But he said, you can you can do it oh, one okay. time and that's it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that works because this, like, this is supposed to be a Galileo allegory where the, the guy comes up with the truth and he's burned as like a heretic, basically. But that only works if the people are not that scientifically advanced. These people are so scientifically advanced that they basically shortcut all of the drama. Like Voyager gets sidelined in this episode very easily because we have to do so much. Like we have to sort of like get to the trial part, you know, like the weapons don't work. We beam the ship into our giant city ship and, and yada yada. But like at one point when they're in the holodeck trying to figure it out, like where do these aliens come from? They figure out that they're dinosaurs like pretty much immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not that technologically advanced. So I'm sitting here like, if these dinosaurs... Forget the fact that they're dinosaurs. Like, that's supposed to be like the big shock, but it's not really that important. If this group of people managed to survive and tra travel the galaxy for 65 million years ago or whatever, are you really telling me they'd have a hard time with this? that they wouldn't have figured it out. Like the, the clues were just impossible. They're like, Oh, there's no way that's true. And they're like, Oh, but you're supposed to be a scientific advanced enlightened group of people here. I don't understand why this is so difficult to accept. Well, I think, I mean, what they don't develop enough is the, the sort of hierarchy of their culture. Like right now, especially now, in, in our culture, scientists sit atop as far as like how we should live our lives and what is true and what is helpful and what is good and what is healthy. Like we, you know, we revere them. And especially, you know, as this pandemic is starting to come down, we're, we're learning a little bit more about how these things, these decisions get made. But for, you know, a lot of the hysteria over the last year and a half has been about... You know, we have to trust the scientists. They know what they're doing. We have no idea what a virus is. I can't even see it, let alone, you know, protect myself against it without them, their information. And so, you know, for us, science is not the new god, but it is the, the default thing we think about when we have to make decisions. What should I eat? How much should I drink? What kind of clothes do I wear? You know, like my my undershirts are scientifically designed to wick sweat away from me. You know, every decision I make has some kind of scientific bearing. It's also a wonderful marketing tool. So it 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 sort of defines how we operate ourselves in our current culture, given that we're basically the remnants of the age of enlightenment, which was, by the way, a good thing. Yeah, um, and maybe they've they've been around for so long now that. Maybe science, the, the technology part, that's great. We like that. We like being able to fly around and beam here and do that. But we don't see enough of other culture to see how, that's, how, how their science integrates itself into their faith. Because they never really mentioned, the, like they, they, they don't bring up a religion for these people. They just insinuate that their religious fervor about their place in the galaxy is sufficient and it's not they have to do more i right. think 
than what? just say, we believe this. Well, why? And how have you designed your, your culture around that belief? And why is this guy a, such a threat to you? It's just kind of, mm. it's thin. It's, t- it's sort of taking it for granted. The, the concept is great, but it's underbaked. And they, mm. they needed to find more ingredients to put into it. I guess. I mean, at that point, you're just, you're over, you'd be over explaining everything. You know, like you get, you can get away with, with, with showing that, you know, you don't even have to say that they're religious. They just, they have an order of people that they look up to. Like the woman that they argue with in the trial is called an elder. Well, right. in our culture, we don't call scientists elders. So obviously they have some sort of thing that's not scientific. That's, that's the basis of their society. You know, any more than that. I think what would have worked better is, let's say they were scientifically advanced. They find some planet in the Delta Quadrant. They lose a lot of that stuff. Like, like they maybe they regress. They lose some of their history. And then when they find them, they kind of like, you know, reawaken that idea that, you know, maybe you weren't indigenous to this part of the world. Oh, like that could be a whole thing. Because if they're too advanced, it, it, it seems to me a little strange. Yeah, it's it's a harder sell. But I think you can make the case, even insofar as like, it's a juxtaposition that shouldn't be. They should not be this skeptical of the scientists, but they are. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I found so odd. Like, I think it also helps if that guy doesn't have like he seems to be a prominent person. That's I think your main issue there. You you can keep everything else in the story, but make him not a respected scientist. Make him a fringe wacko. Make science a kind of a fringe wacko or his kind. Like, there's science for what sake? I mean, the Soviet Union had scientists, but they all worked, you know, to better the state. So, I mean, it would have been better if they had merged the Galileo and, like, you know, the Soviet Comintern ideas together here. And, like, if your science doesn't benefit the state, what's the point? And the question becomes, like, you know, much as we'll see in in the next episode we talk about, like, we're looking at truth here more than what benefits. And if it mm-hmm. and, and if the science doesn't benefit the the um, you know the state or the established religious order, then it's dangerous. Well, like, isn't that the point that he is an established scientist? He should. They can't be. believe he would do that, right? But like, like they, yeah, that makes it harder certainly it makes it easier for him to get an audience with the elder if he's a if he's a respected scientist but like you shouldn't have anybody looking into this you know there should be some like hint that the elders know but don't believe that he's right and so they're burying this to keep themselves in power and the fact that he's that. that comes across doesn't it uh yeah i mean you can you can tell that they're they're that they're all they're all lying to themselves, but I don't know if he if he was more of a kook and a fringe character in their eyes. I think it would have gone a long way to explain why they'd be so advanced technologically, but so resistant to progress at the same time. So when they when they had that list of Star Trek episodes. Um, was it Playboy and had like all 900 or whatever? Yeah, that guy Jordan Hoffman that we saw at uh, the convention. What always struck me was that his, not a complaint, he always mentioned it when he was talking about Voyager. I was like, how lucky they were. They were the luckiest starship in the galaxy. 
you know, and like, I never thought that was fair because all the Star Trek shows we watch, obviously they're the lucky ones. They have to get out of it, you know, but like, I did think about it at the end of this one. They were like, all right, scientist is going to go to a hard labor camp forever. And the Voyager crew is going to go with him. And he's like, no, don't, you know, let them go, you know, and they let them go. And I'm like, what if that guy hadn't said that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. So that brings me up to another thing about this episode that I like a lot is that the, you know, in addition to being a cool sci-fi concept and kind of fun to have dinosaurs in space, it it also get, gets into that that stuff that Brendan Braga never really wanted to do, which is like interpersonal conflict and societal, con- you know, a commentary. And in reading some of the backstory on Memory Alpha, they said like it was going to be like a, a an action show, and someone said I can't just think of like dinosaurs with rifles running around like a bunch of gorn with ak-47s and so somebody came in and said no it's got to be like this and like oh my god that's great and it's less sci-fi and more you know exploring ethical questions in a way that only science fiction can um train of thought went out of my head oh but in an in doing that, you got something out of this show that you don't get with most Voyager episodes, and that's sacrifice. Somebody makes a decision that's, you know, that that is irre- yeah, ir- irrevocable. Is that a word? Like they, they kind of they they step through a door and close it behind them, and that never happens on this show. They don't. They made deci- they make decisions like that very infrequently bringing on seven of nine, making the doctor a, a real character and not just the guy in the, in the um, sick bay, bring on, bring, bringing on, um, on Neelix. Like every now and again, you get a thing and it's, 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 it's usually a person. Um, and then seven of nines thing where her, her whole arc is really like an actual character. But, you know, what Tuvix lacked was any sense of, Sacrifice, any sense of weight of responsibility. And this guy has it at the end. He says, you either recant what, you, what, what you're saying or we're going to kill all these people over here. And he does it. And he gives up and, you know, becomes a metallurgist or something like that. Like that. Yeah, they stick him somewhere in, like a, in a lab somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> where he can't do any talking. Right, which is very Soviet, you know. <laughs> like it's a very, you know, Eastern Bloc kind of thing to do. So... Yeah, it it had that, and most of these shows didn't have that, and it benefited. That's only because it was told from their point of view, and not that of your main characters. Right. Well, it's easy to do when the, you never see the guy again. So. Yeah. Would have been nice to come back to that. Let me give Chakotay a nice little speech. Yeah, he do, he's does okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't getting much. Wasn't getting much to do at that point. But um, all right. Now moving on to the other one. So you you said that you like this one better. Oh, this is a far better episode. <laughs> it's okay. not even close. Sure, you work. Well, well, I mean, the concept is a lot better. I mean, the, the sci-fi concept is the same kind of sci-fi weirdo time nonsense. Like, what would happen if you left your mark on a culture? And 700 years later, what would they think about you? What would they say? Well, you'd most likely get the details wrong because you only have artifacts and, and leftovers and, you know, it's not all correct. Same with 
I mean, it's so accurate to what we do now. I mean, you find ruins from some culture a thousand years ago, and you can only sit there and go, well, people lived here, <laughs> you know, and you, you can't really picture what, even when ancient Rome, I mean, it's hard to picture exactly what it was like for the average Roman citizen, you know. So these people met Voyager at some point, <laughs> And they steal the doctor's backup program, who knew he had one, and they reactivate him 700 years later. And for him, he remembers everything that happened as if it was yesterday. So when he sees their interpretation of events, he's like appalled, and he tries <laughs> to set the record straight as to what happened. And you have to convince people who have grown up with a cultural bias as to what really occurred. I thought that was very interesting, much more so than dinosaurs. <laughs> Like and he has to end up convincing the same man, <laughs> the same the same actor, yeah. that w- <laughs> what he knew was incorrect. <laughs> that really is quite funny. Um, I um, I like this episode if for no other reason than it does, you know, more humorously and interestingly, w- w- the same thing as what all the um, Mirror Universe episodes try and do. It was, you know, just like, what would evil Tuvok look like or evil Janeway? And they'd have black shirts instead of gray shirts. And, yeah. you know, like it, that I never really liked that whole thing. Like, it's a great sort of one off thing that they did in TOS. They never did it in TNG. Um, They did it all the goddamn times. My only major complaint about Deep Space Nine was that whenever they couldn't think of a thing to do, they're like, well... Let's break out that mirror universe and like everything was just so over the top and and just it, yeah, uh, but here at least it made sense. Right. It was basically showing the same people the bizarro world version of them in a context that was chilling and kind of funny. Like I thought like it was it was not like laugh out loud funny, but it was like, you know, you gotta gotta a chuckle out of watching Neelix tell Tom Paris to go screw. Like it was just, yeah. it was just interesting. Well, what makes it work is that at this point you know the like you and the audience know the character enough that you know they're not like that. And then when you get it from the aliens' point of view, where they were like, "Well, these people showed up and they helped obliterate our planet," and you're like, "Of course you would you would see it that way." I mean, yeah. how many times have we painted Hitler as this cartoonish supervillain? You know, but if you could meet a guy who knew Hitler, what would he, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't say anything nice about him. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. The well, it depends we, on who he knew him, <laughs> who yeah. that guy was. I mean, Ava Braun had nice things to say about him, so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, so, it's. Yeah, it's an exaggerated sense of, of what they were like. Um, I had, I had a thought that went out of my head there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in general, if you were to compare the two side by side, this is it's grounded in, in more reality. It's, you know, you, and, like, you, you, you can even see when, like, so, like, the doctor c- kind of comes along and says, well, I'm going to tell you what, what really happened. And was it me or is it just, like, the version that he writes a little bit too rosy? Like... You kind of get the sense that, like, this isn't exactly what happened, but this is his because he wasn't in every scene. Like, he wouldn't, but he wouldn't be in in Captain Janeway's ready room, talking to the other guy before the attack happened, and he wasn't in 
engineering when the when when the other guy shows up and tries to take yeah. over. And he says that at some point he says like uh, this is obviously I'm he says I'm extrapolating because I wasn't there for everything. He says, but it's a a close facsimile, I think he says, because he when he paints the two aliens, he does show that they don't get along. Yeah. Like, like they might be like extra nice to Janeway and Janeway's like, oh, of course we'll trade with you. We're just here to help. And, but like the two aliens hate each other already. So he even says, he's like, well, you know, like, and he says it a bunch of times. He's like, I don't really care what happens on your planet. I'm just trying to make sure everyone knows, but my friends weren't assholes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, I, it's one of those things, like it, it, it happens rather fast too. Like, I'm not so sure that you that there's enough to delve into this and make it a two-parter per se. Like you could have made certain scenes longer and I'm sure that they were and they, and, and this was cut down. Um, like one thing that was sort of unclear beyond them just blatantly saying these things is that they live in kind of a, not like an apartheid state, but they don't no, have equal rights. They're, seg- they're segregated somehow. And I but wasn't he, exactly sure who was more segregated than the other. Yeah. So, like, because the guy who runs the museum, who says that Voyager was bad and our guy is a martyr, is of the oppressed race. Like, the other race he, is... They are, right? Yeah, they're, 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 supposed to be, they're, they're supposedly higher up on the food chain of, between these two races. And that didn't really make a lot of sense. Like, you didn't, you saw people, you know, in his museum learning side by side. You see that he is the authority figure as the historian. Um, But then when they bring in the people from the government to speak to uh, to the doctor and observe his hollow um, record, the woman of the Kyrians, which is the, 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 the lower race is complaining to the, you know, the guy in charge, like, well, you, you would agree with him because you still oppress us and we can't live here. We can't, we can't do these things. And so there's more to be done with that, I think, than was led on here. Like they, they could have, it would have been harder to write, I think. But, um, I guess what they what they wanted to do was have the ending that they had, and the ending that they have, I think, is what makes the show so great. Is that it turns out that you know the people who are watching this are really watching another um, holographic yeah, nice facsimile. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun twist at the end. So you see that this was how the you know the the doctor wanted to delete himself again, sacrifice wanted to you know de- de- delete himself to stop the race riot that was brewing outside. And then the other guy's like, no, we have to tell the truth. If we don't tell the truth, what's the point? And yeah, well, that's the whole crux of the episode. Yeah, it's like, this is just, just going to happen again in, a, in another 700 years unless we do something about it now. And then the, you kind of pan back and you see that they're really inside of a, two, uh, uh, a TV being watched by somebody else, which is, which is kind of fun. But what they wanted to do was show you that the two races used to be enemies and now are not but they became them again because of tensions that you never really get to see you only hear about and i think that's like a, a classic you know telling and not showing 
problem that, that they run into because I think I'm just time. Like they just they, there's not, there's not enough time to write that scene. Well, there's time. There's there's the practicality of like the budget. Like how do we show these things? We need new, you know, because both of these episodes sideline Voyager. Voyager's not really part of these. They're like very. Their role is very diminished. The, the the crew doesn't actually appear in this episode at all, except as facsimiles. So like, it it's fun television to show them acting like stupid idiots, dressed in whack, like a bunch of thugs. So there's time for that, and, and you want to pay you know you got to pay your actors and give them lines. Like if we're gonna do an entire show with only guest stars, there just isn't any time for that sort of thing. Yeah. And and as an audience member, I think too, it'd be like, you know, especially because these were designed to be one offs. So it's like, I don't want to watch two episodes of this group of people I'm never going to see again. Like, you know, and they always leave it up. Like when they talk about these things at the end, he says, like, I wonder if they ever got home because it's 700 years in the future, they're all dead. <laughs> you know, And they're like, yeah, I wonder if they did get home. Like, don't forget the main point of the show, which is we're watching this crew travel across space. So this is like yeah. a little detour. Uh, I wonder if, they wouldn't have been better off in general to have adopted a model similar to uh, Enterprise in the fourth season where they just said like, okay, we, we, we got to fill 25 episodes worth of TV, but we only have 12 stories that are really any good. What if we just flush them out more and make them bigger? And I remember hearing somewhere years ago that like the whole decision to make something a two-parter was as, as a significant one, and I don't know much about the business of making TV, like you know this this kind of TV for Paramount in syndication back in the '90s. But I I recall someone saying at some point that making something a two-parter gave you more money, and I think what they meant was that like you basically took the budget for two episodes and put it into one story, and it it, it would allow you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. So the 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 episode for for the Herogen where they build Nazi headquarters and you know and um, the bar in Marseille, France, extra sets, extra people, lots of makeup. They were two oh, parts yeah. because they could be, you know. That, but they said that's absolutely why they did it on Enterprise. Yeah, because like we would do three episode arcs. If we're going to build a giant desert set that looked like Vulcan, we can't just use it one time, but we could use it three times. <laughs> Yeah. So we would just stretch the budget out that way. Yeah. And you know what? It ended up working in their favor, you know, because you're telling one longer story. Like if you're, take, if you're telling a really complicated story with lots of sets for three episodes, well, then you're basically, you're breaking even again at that point. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, maybe that was something that was ultimately what doomed Voyager in general. Was it like, the show couldn't ever really do that because they had to be consistently moving someplace that had to look different and strange and exciting every single week. Yeah, you could do a bottle show on, on the ship where everybody's acting weird or doing a thing or getting a, a disease. You know, I think the laziest episode was that like giant macrovirus episode, which is them running around while this awful CGI thing buzzes around like a giant... Uh, at least they I use don't the know CGI pillowcase. That what, what's yeah, that? Yeah. At least they use yeah. the CGI. Yeah, I mean that was what the money went to in that one. But like, you know, I think the the cheapest one might have been uh, 
what is uh, Patrick Stewart playing um, John McClane in that? Uh, oh yeah, one episode. Well, Voyager did an episode where they were in some sort of anomaly, and it was twisting the ship into into like a maze, like they couldn't get around. And that was a really cheap episode because they would walk down a hallway and they would just appear in the same hallway. And they'd be <laughs> like, the ship's getting twisted. And I'd be like, they just move the set around. Like, <laughs> or they just cut and have them walk into the door. Like it didn't really Yeah, happen. like they would just be like, oh, we're back where we started. I'm like, oh my God, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't even use engineering for this scene. Like, So like... Yeah, it just, I, I mean, you would like to have longer, more time with some of these concepts and some of these characters. And that's just like, you can't build a giant thing for, you know, you can build one one Nazi headquarters every <laughs> every season uh, yeah. and that's it. After that, you know, you can't keep building these giant things. They could be repurposed, you know, but they weren't. And that's, I mean, look, they, they wrote themselves into a corner and they decided... To, you know, they made odd choices with it, and some of them they had to make, and some of them I don't think they did. I think the ultimate thing was they they still never wrote enough character for the characters, and they tried to get around that by writing everybody else more interesting, which is what next gen with what, uh, what TOS was years ago. The humans stayed pretty much the same, and um. They would just meet one wackadoo alien a week who highlighted one aspect of humanity that they hadn't ironed out yet into being the even-keeled people that, that, that the humans were. And the one episode that everyone calls the best one is the only one where Kirk really has like a, a thing. He has an internal emotional dilemma, which is the sitting on the edge of forever. And... They couldn't do that all the time. He couldn't have that kind of crisis of, you know, that ethical dilemma every week. That would have been insane. So they relied on the, you know, the, 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 the guest stars every week to kind of bring the tension and bring the drama. And so I figured, like, you know, did Voyager do that? Yeah. Did it do it pretty well? Yeah. So let's, like, you know, what were the episodes that highlighted what it did well when it was doing? And I think these two represent you know, the best of that stuff without being the big two-parters in you know, like the Herogen, like the Equinox that, you know, we, we all kind of, you know, think of as like being the, you know, the, the best of the exciting episodes of Voyager. These were smaller, they were more cerebral, you know, not always well acted, but, <laughs> but they were good. And then like they, the why they kept the, the why the show kept kept going for seven whole damn seasons, which is amazing when you think about that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't hate Voyager like the way most people do. I I don't think it's fair. You know, it's getting its own it. renaissance now, like you know, with the whole gender equality thing. It's it's it's, it's becoming well, something people know. talk about a lot. There's plenty of original or uh, next generation episodes that I can't watch because they're just boring or lame or whatever. Just like this one. I mean, 26, 25 episodes of television a year is a ridiculous amount of television. Yeah. And I mean, they were hamstrung by, like any television show is, by, you know, corporate dictates and things like that. You, you know, it has to be serialized. It has to be this, it has to be that. I mean, they did a better job fighting that than, than the next generation did. I mean, yeah. Next Generation didn't serialize almost anything. 
Yeah. And and when they got away from a lot of that, especially in like the second, I think the third season's finally when they were like, okay, look, we're traveling. We're not in the same part of space. You know, it got a lot better. We left the Kazon behind. We met the weirdo aliens. Uh, I wasn't lo- in love with the dinosaur aliens, <laughs> but I, I thought it was pretty good. And then this living witness one was in the fourth season, much better. Yeah. You know, like it got better as it went. So, um, you know, these were, these were good episodes and the guest yeah. star was a good scientist. Like, yeah. And it's so reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so, all right. Well, if you out there have any thoughts about distant origin or living witness, you should let us know on Twitter. We are at three drinks in pod. Same thing on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, don't forget to visit the website at T Public for our Three Drinks in Podcast merchandise. Uh, make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen. Leave ratings and reviews. Is there anything else? No. All right. That's it. As always, please drink responsibly, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.